This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. all part of my effort to keep you engaged. Did I get all three sheets? I do. Well, good morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the worship pastor here at Community Covenant Church. Uh, Brad, our transitional lead pastor, is uh, this week in in, uh, western Alaska. He's going to be, and I can never say this, I cannot say words that have N's and L's, so eulinically, did I say that right? I have so much trouble with that. Thank you. Wow, two things I've done right so far. Anyway, he's going to be speaking there this weekend, but also he's going to be, uh, hopefully, at the end of the Iditarod when the race finishes. And so if you happen to be watching, he said, look for him. He'll be waving uh, for TV cameras in front of the KICY. So anyway, look for him there. Also, I want to say, hey, pardon our dust. I'm pretty excited. You're going to notice a few changes around here. Uh, we, we've had an Eagle Scout uh, who has um, helped with a, a, a big team expand our platform. If you've noticed, the front of our sanctuary has been fairly uh, bare since Christmas. And the plan is, is to have a cross up here by Easter. Wouldn't that be a good thing? And uh, I'm excited, and you're going to continue to see a few changes around here, hopefully that help us engage in worship a little bit better. I'm trying to engage in several ways this morning. I have, I have a lapel mic, and part of that is because I had my in-ear thing on this side, and I just felt like I had so many wires and buttons going on, and then Brett, my sound guy, goes, you know what you need is one of those uh, Go cameras, you know what I mean? Like, so when I preach, you know, I could like, you know, put it up on YouTube. This is what the crowd did when I, I don't know. Anyway, we're, we're going to try and make it through that. We are in a series right now called The Story We Find Ourselves In. Recognizing, and I really, really like the whole metaphor of story. Uh, It makes a lot of sense to me because stories have characters. They have a plot. 
They have a purpose oftentimes. And are we not all born into the world trying to figure out who we are? What's my character? And we're trying to figure out what's my purpose. And uh, over the past, uh, I think this is week number four or five, um, we've been talking about God's story and how we can find our own story in the midst of that. This is a quote that Pastor Brad had up his very first week, and I really like it. A story is the best way of talking about the way the world actually is. See, I, I believe that we're almost hardwired for story. When you, when you look at the history of communication, there's the, the oral tradition where people shared stories orally. And then with the printing press, they begin to write them down. And now, uh, through Facebook and tweets, the story is being told a little different way. I'm having a hard time keeping up with that once again. But we're all telling our stories. We're telling something about who we are, where we're headed, what the purpose of our life is. And the problem, over the last couple weeks, I want to review it here in a second, but uh, we talked about sin's consequence in humanity in the fall. And rebellion. And what that happens is it cuts us off from our Creator, the one who helps inform us on who we are and what our stories are. And, and I thought about this morning actually bringing a book and just reading a paragraph right out of the middle and say, Wow, wasn't that exciting? And you're like, I don't know who those people are and I don't know what's going on. But I kind of feel like that's how I came in the world. Who are these people and what is going on? You see? It sends consequences is that I'm disconnected from my Creator and I'm disconnected from the people around us. And even though we get to experience a touch of goodness through relationship and we touch of goodness and creation around us, we experience so much brokenness and separation. And we're trying to sort that out. So Brad started, I, I believe it was three weeks ago, um, he started with the story. And in, in the Bible, when you open up, it just starts off right at the beginning for us. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we learn something just from those opening verses. We learn that God is the creator God, that He is the source of everything. We learn that He was there at right from the beginning. There's no God came from outside or something. It's just in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that right now, or right there, if you think about it, it can create a lot of clarity for us. Understanding. And in fact, if you read the first three chapters of the Bible and you read the last three, just like when you read another book, you begin to understand a lot about our story. So when you read the first three chapters of Genesis, and this is what we've been covering the last couple of weeks, but uh, you may remember a long time ago, Pastor Mark, and I'm not going to get the word right. I was going to look it up and I ran out of time, but uh, about chaos. But there was a, a certain amount of chaos at the beginning of creation. It's tohu mabohu. Does anybody remember that? It basically means cre- chaos. I knew Dave. I can always count on David. <laughs> chaos. And what you see unfolding in creation is this. God is about creating order and beauty. That's one of the things that we get to catch as we read about the days of creation. God is creating order and beauty. And as you know, on the last day of creation, His crowning achievement is humanity made in His image, made for relationship, 
made to be on display as a vessel upon which he just pours out his grace and his affection. And right after that, just like when you're reading a novel, you know, the stage sort of gets set and things take a really bad nosedive, really bad, as humanity falls into sin and they become separated from their God. And now we have this conundrum where we have a holy God who has no fellowship with anything that is not perfect in His holiness. And you have humanity that is chosen to, to be unholy. And so promises are made, and we are in the in-between chapters. Even as we gather this morning, we're in the in-between chapters between the fall and when God sets everything right. I love that metaphor for understanding my life. Just like in a novel when in the middle you're like, oh my goodness, how is the protagonist, the good guy, going to get out of this one? And you think it's bad and it just gets worse. It's like, oh my goodness, how is he going to get out of that? That's the way I feel about my life sometimes. Oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of this one? So story becomes for me a powerful way to think about my life. And I really believe that when we... um, when we live unto ourselves, when our story is only about us, our stories tend to get smaller. But when we see what God is doing, the value He has placed in each and every one of us, our stories can get bigger. So, Psalm, I, I was given the assignment to talk about God's faithfulness. So I went out and found a psalm that questions God's faithfulness. Isn't that great? There's four movements in Psalm 89. I'm going to quickly try and go through, because there's about 52 verses. I'm going to quickly go through these different movements. But really what the psalmist is doing, he's asking this question. How do we respond in faith when God seems unfaithful? Regardless of where you're at in your spiritual walk, I I trust that if you're here, you had at least some questions about God. Some questions about your relationship with God. Some questions about how faithful God is. How much can you risk with God? Well, this psalmist has risked a lot, and he's going to unfold that for us. And and surprisingly, a lot of psalms take a dip. You know what I'm talking about? Like even Psalm 22 that Jesus quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read that whole psalm, there's a very encouraging thing at the end of it. This psalm is not that way. It's pretty rare. It ends on a pretty big downer, to be honest. And I want actually for you to feel hopeful this morning. If you come and you feel like life is a downer right now, you're wondering how you can trust God. I want to start with a a story that I've shared before about myself. Okay? Uh, when I struggled one time, and it's probably not the most significant struggle at all, but it was very poignant. It was a very, very specific point in time. I was finishing up seminary. I was in my last semester of classes, and I had this one class that I had to get done. Now, I loved school. I enjoyed school, all of it, except for writing papers. I mean, ask, ask some of my colleagues right now. I have a couple papers I'm supposed to be working on right now that I'm, I'm behind on, all right? I don't like papers. Well, this particular class had, as 50% of its grade, at least, 
one big paper. And the class met once a week. And the way it worked is, if you didn't turn it in when it was due the week, then you got 50% off the, a week later. Or, no, I'm sorry, it was a letter grade. It's a while ago. I'm getting old. It was a while ago. A letter grade automatically lowered a week later. So, so the first class, if you turn it in, a week later, it's, it's a grade lower. And um, I have a reputation. I have no idea why. But I have a reputation of being a procrastinator. Now, if you're procrastinating like me, you never quite understand what the, what the issue is there. But in this particular case, I had worked really hard, really hard to get started on it early. I knew a lot was writing. This was my last class to finish seminary. And I, I worked on it. I spent a lot of time. And I'm good at coming up with lots of ideas and lots of notes. It's putting them all in an order that makes sense and putting them all down on paper. And I, so I had all these notes and study and, you know. And uh, the, the, the day that this paper was due came up, I wasn't going to get it done in time. I said, no big deal. I just need to pass this class. I'll turn it in a week late. Okay. Now, as it turns out, class got canceled that week due to a tragedy. So now, now it's the final week. But I don't know. I don't want to call up and say, so since it was due this week, but we didn't have classes, I mean, I have two. I mean, you know, I didn't know whether I had an extra week or not, so I just, I got to get this thing done. I'm strung out. It's the last day. I've worked hard on it, but it's just not coming together. And I'm kind of psyching myself up. I'm drinking the extra coffee, and I'm like, okay, just, you know, I got the notes here. I just got to sit down and type. You know, you ever tell you, I just got to sit down and just start typing it out, just, you know. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying. And the panic feelings start coming up just a little bit. I'm squish them down. Just, just, just do it. Just put something down. It doesn't matter if you get a C. You'll still get a D on the paper. <laughs> well, I, I need to shorten the story here. But what happened? Part of it was I think I was just tired. <laughs> but at like three or four in the morning, at some point in the morning, I get my wife up and I say, "Hey, I'm, I'm really concerned that I'm not going to get this done." And uh, I don't remember what order things happened, but I got to the point where I said, I'm done. And not only am I done with this class, I'm done with seminary, I'm done with ministry, I am done. I have had it. I'm not going a step farther. I mean, I was so done, and it was really painful as my wife gets up. And of course, she's been, you know, working, putting me through school, and stuff, and she's watching me just melt. And she's like, what can I do? And I'm like, there's nothing you could do. I am done. And I couldn't get through. It was painful for me because on top of being done was watching her that she's not going to let go. It's like, I'm completely done. I'm, you know, I am, you know. And she's like, what can I do? I said, fine, there's my notes. Just compile them. You can type something if you want. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to class. I'm not, you know. And I collapsed on the couch and I fell asleep. I was so done that day. And the thoughts that went through my mind were, I was pretty sure God had called me. I mean, I had a sense that this was where God was leading me. And now it's all for naught. It adds up to nothing. I was so done. I, I didn't want to be involved. I mean, in that moment, all right, at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know. I was like, I, I don't want to be involved in ministry anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I've completely dis, disappointed my family. I mean, I just felt like God had abandoned me. 
I had tried really hard. I, you know, people were like, well, if you don't procrastinate. I didn't procrastinate. I had worked hard on that. You know, you know, what's wrong with me? I can't just write out a few pages. Of, you know, I just, I was so frustrated and I just felt like God somehow was not there for me. Now, I made it through, but that's another story. I'm trying to tell. So God was there for me, perhaps. We all, whether we like it or not, have certain expectations or certain things that we believe about how God is going to deal with us. And haven't we, and I don't even care if you don't really call yourself a Christian, but haven't we all been in that place where we feel like somehow God has dropped the ball. Something's happened that's unexpected. Is that me? Something happens that's unexpected. You know, you, you tried to plan your life in the right way and how you relate to others and how you relate to somebody uh, of the opposite gender. And, and you found somebody that you fell in love with. You, you, you had a good thing going. You prayed together. There was commitment to be in church together. And, and somehow, after six or seven years, that person seemed like they went south. It was like, God, I was trying to follow you in this. And now look. Divorce. I'm left alone. See... And, and you lift up, what can I trust in in that moment? How can I trust in God? You know, we, we, I've noticed, you know, we tend to cling. Uh, for a lot of people, there's this verse in the Old Testament where it's, uh, I have my plans for you, plans to make you prosper. Now, why you could choose that one, but you don't choose the one where, like, I will discipline my son with a rod. He will, you know, I mean, I, you know, we tend to gravitate toward these ones that seem like they're very encouraging. And... When life doesn't work out the way we anticipate it, sometimes we're left thinking, God, what are you doing? And see, we are all like in the middle chapters of not just our story, but what God is doing in the world. In this psalm, I better get going on it here. The first movement, the first four verses... The psalmist is talking about the loving faithfulness of God is expressed through his promises. And, and two times, right at the beginning, I better open there to the passage. It says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known. So love and faithfulness. In the second verse, I will declare your love stands firm forever. That you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. And so he's, he's just beginning it. God's love, God's faithfulness is unshakable. And here's his promise. And so in, in verse uh, 3 and 4, he says, You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. So this psalm, this particular psalm, is really heavily looking at what we call the Davidic covenant. The covenant that God made with David. And you can read about it in 2 Samuel. But basically, real quickly, what happens? David is riding a crest of success. 
He has conquered the Philistines. He has conquered Jerusalem. He's now living in the palace. And ever since the Israelites came out of Egypt, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, which represents the very presence of God, has been in a tent. And now David's living in a palace. And he goes, oh, you know, he had just brought in the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He's like, I'm, you know what? This isn't right. I'm living in a palace. And look at the Ark of the Covenant's in the tent. We've got to change that. And so he says something to Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet says, do whatever you think is best. But then God comes and speaks to Nathan the prophet. You go tell David this. Look, I've been living in a tent. I haven't asked anybody to bring you. You're not, I don't need anything from you. You think you're going to do something for me? Let me tell you something. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a kingdom that lasts forever. One of your descendants is going to take the throne and, and never, ever give it up. I'm, and through him, I'm going to build my house. I'm going to build a kingdom. And I'm going to build a dynasty that will never, ever end. And in that, God says very clearly... This is my promise. This is my oath. And a lot of the words of David when he responds to that, oh my goodness, there is no God like you. See, this is completely unexpected. Because maybe David in, in his day and age with, with other kingdoms around there, you, you, know, you have to appease the God. You have to do something. You know, and God's like, no, I'm going to do something for you. We serve a God. We call on a God that says, I'm going to do something for you, the God of the universe. And so David's just a little bit blown away by that. What kind of God is this? And why would he do that? I was a shepherd boy, just tending sheep. Look at the success he's given me. And now this very great promise. Not only for David did it have significance, but it had significance for all of Israel. God's chosen people. Because through the king... And his authority comes peace and prosperity. So the, the writer of the Psalms, he, uh, he very quickly says that God's love and faithfulness is unshakable. And here's his promise to David. What a beautiful thing. And then uh, we go into the second movement, starting in verse 5. And it's how secure is the faithfulness of God? He's going to talk about God's strength and his authority. Because... Uh, if you're going to have faith and trust in someone that they're going to be able to keep their word, well, how are they able to keep their word? I mean, that's basically the question that the psalmist is addressing now. And let me just point out a few things. Three times, just in the first verses that we read, twice in verse 6 and, and once in verse 8, it says, Who... For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? And then down in verse 8, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? And the psalmist is pointing out, there's no one quite like God. There's no, and he's mirroring the words of David, who is completely taken aback. God is completely unique. This is very important. To trust in a God who is unique. Because we tend to anthropomorphize. You know what I'm talking about? I do that. I was just looking online this week of pet rocks. 
And, uh, I mean, we can, we can anthropomorphize rocks for crying out loud. But we tend to think of God as being kind of like us rather than seeing that we have been made like God. And there's a big difference because we, we are lesser than God and we've been made like Him. It's not as though God responds to things like we do. He is completely unique and He's the only one in the universe that has the power and the authority to be able to keep His promises. Have you ever made a promise and the circumstances change and you've got to go back and say, sorry, I know I promised that, but then my hot water heater blew up and I had to replace that and now I don't have the money. I'm really sorry. See, when we put our faith in something, we're risking something. And so if God is not completely faithful, if He doesn't have authority, if He doesn't have the power, then maybe He's not worthy of the risk that we take of our putting our faith in Him. And the psalmist, what he says is, in the company of the powerful angelic beings in heaven that are portrayed in God's Word and that when they show up on earth, people are terrified, who have power. But in their company, God stands far above. No one and nothing can resist the power and the will of God. And so it points out that God is supreme in heaven. And then it, and it goes on and talks about God is supreme in earth. He has control over nations. He can quiet the waters. His enemies are nothing for Him. Armies of, of Egypt that in this uh, passage is talked about with the, the name uh, Hagar. Is that right? Did I get that right? Rahab, excuse me. I knew that was wrong. And then it says that the heavens and the earth belong to God. He has the authority. He owns it. He created it. There's nothing He can't do. Therefore, He is able to live up to His promises. Circumstances don't change in which God cannot fulfill His promise to you and to I. Myself. In the third movement, he begins to to recount the promise of God to David. And again, a lot of the language mirrors that that passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel. Let me read just a couple of them. Verse 27, as he's quoting God, it says, I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever. And my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever. And his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. And so the psalmist brings out again God's wonderful promise to David after expounding or you know talking about his great faithfulness and the strength that God has in his faithfulness and then what his promise was to David and then and then we get to this fourth movement where he's basically asked where is the faithful love God promised if you look in your text 
If you happen to have a Bible, starting in verse 38, the first word there is but. It's a big but. And now, as he, in the earlier section, section 2, he says, you have done this. You are like this. You have done this. But, now in this section, but, you have done this. You have forgotten the covenant. You have done this. You've made the king's sword useless. You've allowed our enemies to overrun us. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his stronghold to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Verse 46, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all men. What man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of the grave? O Lord, where is your former great love? This huge contrast, I think, sometimes mirrors the way we feel. When you get passed over for the promotion at work that you've been working for and you feel like God was leading you to. When something happens to the child that you love, that you've raised, and you're left wondering, why? God, what can I count on? How do I experience your faithfulness in the midst of this? When circumstances come and ruin your finances, and you've been a faithful giver to the church, you've been faithful to this, and maybe without thinking about it unconscious, you're thinking, doesn't God reward faithfulness? And yet, look at what's happening. God, what can I count on? Where's your promise of your favor? Where's the promise that things work out when we trust you? So I go back real quickly to this. How do we respond in faith when God seems unfaithful? I want to make just a couple observations to close with. One observation I want to make is that um, one of the things that we have to be careful of, that I have to be careful of, is that I don't put conditions on how God chooses to show his faithfulness to me. In other words, I don't set up certain circumstantial things in my life that when this happens, then God is faithful. When this happens, God is not faithful. I don't define God's faithfulness by the immediate circumstances I find myself in. Because this is not the end of the story. This is only the middle of the story. Death, my physical death, a death of a loved one of mine is not the end of the story. 
So if I place conditions on God's faithfulness on the immediacy of my immediate circumstances, I risk missing out on a bigger story that God is doing. So I, I, hopefully that's helpful. Something else I want to point out is that one of the ways I think God invites us, our hearts and us into the bigger story is allowing us to feel the tension. When the immediate circumstances in the world around us doesn't seem like it's quite matching up. The purpose of God's story, the thing that's going to happen at the end, is that God is going to be vindicated. God is going to demonstrate that He is righteous, that He's faithful, that He's holy. And just like when we read a novel and there's tension in the middle and we wonder how it's going to work out and the author's clever and they figured out some way that what seemed like it was impossible suddenly gets turned around. And so when there's tension in the middle, it makes, I think, for God's vindication and what He is going to do in you and I and in the church and in the world his vindication is going to be that much sweeter. I mean, think about the story here. And I really believe that, that the psalmist is not just shaking his finger, but he's engaged his heart in the process. He hasn't given up on God. He hasn't said, look, this isn't what we signed up for. We're out of here. I don't think he was insincere on the first part. I think what he was doing, he says, God, this is what I understand from your word and how you revealed yourself. But this is what I'm experiencing. I don't know how to bring those two together. God is not afraid of our questions about that. I've had the experience. Have you ever had an experience where somebody says, oh, you know, Tyler can do that. Why don't you just let Tyler take care of it? I'm like, wait a second. Don't pin that on me. I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't know that I can pull that off. So God is not worried about that. God is not worried when we engage our heart in the struggle and say, God, this is what I understand. This is what I experience. Now help me. Help me to know where to find and experience and respond to your faithfulness. Because I don't see it. God wants to engage our hearts in the process. And He wants to remind us that the story is bigger. Now, if this writer of the psalm was able to see in the future and where this whole series is leading is up to Easter. And if he was able to gaze in the future and see that not only is God providing a king, but God provides his own son. Not just to rule, but to bear the weight of the people's sin. And to rule in a way that no ordinary human being could. I mean... There's places in Scripture where what it says is God, I'm gonna, God says, I'm going to do something in your day, and if I told you about it beforehand, you would not even believe it. Is it possible that the darkness that we might feel and the tension between understanding God's faithfulness and our experience of that faithfulness, that God could do something that we wouldn't believe, that we couldn't believe that it would work out as good as it does? 
there's a lot of things in this world, not just for me personally, but, you know, the whole problem of evil and suffering and hunger and all those things, those are huge issues, you see? Is God big enough? Is His story big enough to eventually envelop those things and be vindicated? If so, whatever I'm going through, He can vindicate that. I have the opportunity to trust Him in the midst of difficult circumstances and to recognize that I'm being invited into God's story of what He's doing in the world. I thought about listing off a lot of the things that we can depend on. Really, the, the, the New Testament is full of them. Of things that we could t- depend on in God's faithfulness. Just as one example... First uh, John 1 9, which is, I think, one of the passages I, last time I had the opportunity to speak. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. God faithfully does that. Steadfast, absolutely, we can count on that. The thing is about a lot of the things that we count on, they're not the specific circumstances in our life, but there's a spiritual reality that God is calling us into that's a part of a larger story that ultimately is more important than our circumstances immediately in front of us. It's a bigger deal. One day we will thank God for not coming down at the level of the story that we want to write and instead inviting us into a bigger story. Even though at times it feels like what I understand about the faithfulness of God doesn't meet up with my experience. I want to end with just this verse out of Hebrews 6. A critical piece of the story has come together as Jesus Christ has stepped into time and stepped into our world and became a human. And the story still continues. There's still struggle that happens. And yet a critical piece has begun to unfold that we see, oh my goodness, God is doing something that you and I could have never possibly imagined. That God Himself, the Creator of the universe, steps into the world and He makes a promise with us that we belong to Him, that we're adopted as His children, that we have a place in eternity with Him. Hebrews is a lot about faith. Faith is about risking, risking what I'm going to put my life into, what I'm going to do. Hebrews, so God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have a great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Our God is faithful because of who He is. It is His very character. It is His very nature. He cannot violate what He Himself said. He has the power and authority to make it happen. 
God invites us into that larger story, even though sometimes, in the mess of our own lives of brokenness, even though when we don't understand, we're invited to trust in a God who is faithful. Whose faithfulness is expressed in terms of love and His promise. I invite you to bow your heads. Father in heaven, we, with the psalmist, we declare that you are full of love and faithfulness. It is your very character. In that same breath, God, we confess we often are faithless ourselves. We struggle. And sometimes we struggle to connect our story and see how it fits within the framework of your faithfulness. Oh God, help us to see the bigger story. Help us to allow your spirit to draw us in. May we trust, God, in your loving kindness to us. That you have our best interests at heart. And that somehow, even through our stories, God, you're going to bring glory to yourself. Vindication. You're going to put us up as trophies of your grace, of your kindness. And God, that someday, whatever difficulties we may have when we trust you, someday we will thank you. So we do so now in Jesus' name. Amen.